2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm just going to take my time with this. I don't want to rush through it. A couple of folks have said that they've been taking notes and and sometimes they can tell when I'm in a hurry and they struggle. They try to get down as much as they can. And, 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 I, and I think, uh, um, well, for, for one, it was Gina. And she said, I don't mean any offense. And I said, no, I'm glad that you tell me that because that helps me to do better at what I do. So um, I want to be... I want to be helpful, so I want to be able to slow down if that's what's needed. So 2 Thessalonians 2, and let's just begin reading at verse 1, and let's go ahead and read down just a ways. Let's read down maybe to verse 8. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. I just want to emphasize that. One of the things about the son of perdition, the man of sin, in other words, the Antichrist, is that he opposes God in every way. He opposes New Testament Christianity. And he exalts himself even above all that is called God. Um, And so... I think for those reasons, I don't think a pope fits the bill because the pope does not oppose uh, biblical teaching. And he doesn't oppose all that is called God. So just a thought there. Or that is worshipped so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, iniquity, excuse me, doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And when, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So, the title I've given is Identifying the Restrainer of Evil. Or, What Withholds the Day of Christ. So what I thought I'd do in the beginning here is just to remind us about the Day of Christ and all that entails... And I thought it would be best just to put it into uh, a diagram or picture here. So one of the ways to illustrate this is this great prophetic day in the Scripture, the Day of Christ. You have the Day of Christ, the Day of 
the Lord and the day of God. But this is the day of Christ. And there are several events that happen at this time. The first being the rapture of the church. Okay. The rapture when we're taken up to be with the Lord. And what what follows for us is the judgment seat of Christ. Which I'll just put the letters JSC. The judgment seat of Christ. So at that time, our works are tried. So anybody happen to remember the passages in the Bible where we find the works of or the judgment seat of Christ? Where our works are tried. And so our works, which we do during the church age, yeah, comes from the Greek word bima, uh, which is the judgment seat. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Okay. It's a good scripture. It says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And 1 Corinthians 3 is a good place to go to. Uh, it talks about our works being tried, not our sins, because they were judged at Calvary. And so what we're doing during the church age is we are working for the Lord, we're servants, and we're laying up treasures in heaven. And the works that are done for the right reason, out of love for Christ and with the right motives, those are gold, silver, precious stones. They'll survive the fire. Because the fire can't destroy those. But any works that are done for self or to be seen of men of poor motives, they're wood, hay, and stubble. They, they won't survive the fire. I think there will be a lot of preachers who had an idea that they would use the ministry just uh, to make a living or use the ministry to try to become some kind of a Christian celebrity or something like that that a lot of those ministries, their works will be burned up in the fire. And then you'll have some faithful uh, old lady who was just, you know, washing the saints' feet, you know, and taking care of widows and so on. And she's going to have all this gold, silver, and precious stones. I think we're going to find out that it's going to be an upset for a lot of, a lot of Christians, a lot of believers. So, uh, um, Lord willing, all of us will have some works that will survive that fire. What's happening during the time that the Christians are being judged at the judgment seat of Christ? What's happening on earth? Well, down here, you have four, five, six, seven. I like to represent the tribulation period with these uh, triangles. Uh, just looks rough, looks unpleasant, like a saw blade or something like that. You have seven years of tribulation. And the first half of this is, is uh, a peaceful time. The first half of the Antichrist reign is peaceful. second half is the time when God pours out His wrath. And it's the time that the Antichrist breaks his peace compact, his, his peace uh, covenant with the nation of Israel. And, and then starts to persecute Israel through that second half of the tribulation period. Okay? So you have the tribulation period. Um, I'll just put down here trib. And so, in the beginning, he makes this peaceful covenant and says to the Jews, alright, you can start worshiping in the temple, and uh, that will be an amazing thing, uh, because in, 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 in Jerusalem, 
the Muslims guard the Temple Mount. And we went up and walked on that Temple Mount. I mean, it's heavy security. Like, you're, you're walking up, entering the Temple Mount, ladies, and if you're not wearing modest clothing according to their standards, they will give you a skirt to wear. No kidding. Um, we had some fun with that. But at any rate, uh, if, if you weren't covered up on your shoulders, you had to wear something on your shoulders. You didn't have to cover your head. But there was strict security. And then I think I told you that Beth's brother was hugging his mom and getting a picture in front of that mosque of Omar, which is not really a mosque. And he just had his arm around his mom, who's in her 80s. And that guy just stormed up to them. Hey, get, there, get your hand off of her. Get your hand off of her. And started yelling at him. And he said, this is my mom. And he didn't care. There were rules up there. And there's strict control. And there have been Jewish protests. And it almost broke out into violent uh, you know, into a violent mob of Jews trying to protest, saying, this is our Temple Mount. Well, somehow the Antichrist will make peace and allow the Jews to start setting up their temple. And they have all the furniture that they need to get started right now. Uh, but then halfway through, he'll break his promise with them, and then he will desecrate their sacrifice. He will go into the temple and declare that he himself is God. So that's the tribulation period during that. And then it's followed by... The second advent. So that's the time when Christ returns. And we read about it in this passage. It says that, that he'll destroy him. Uh, the, the Antichrist. Um, in verse 8. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That happens at the second advent. When Christ returns. At this moment right here. The day of Christ is overlapped with the day of the Lord. So we might draw another one of these half circles and talk about the day of the Lord. So sometimes when the day of the Lord is mentioned, these events are together. Same thing with the day of Christ. They overlap. So... All right. Now, looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul had previously established this church, and he wasn't there long before he received persecution and had to leave town. And while he was with them, he taught them many things about the future. Um, he taught them about the day of Christ. He taught them about the day of the Lord. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, the coming of our Lord. He's, he's talking about the second advent. By the coming of our Lord to destroy the Antichrist. And uh, this was a, an issue in the church. They were confused about the coming of the Lord. They were being confused by false teachers. Did the Lord already come? Were they already in the tribulation period? And so Paul was writing to straighten this out. But notice also he says, And by our gathering together unto Him. Our gathering together is at the rapture prior to the tribulation period. So the Lord comes for us, but we're gathered together unto Him in the clouds. And then when He comes back to this world, He actually touches down. And that's how we need to understand that verse. By our Lord's coming and by our gathering together unto Him. And uh, that ye be not soon... Uh, shaken in mind or troubled. So they were troubled about some things, and that's what sparked 
this letter for Paul. It was necessary that he write it to the church because false teachers had come in after he had already been there. They were, all, they were always hot on his heels. The Judaizers during his day always came in to mess with the teachings and uh, to confuse the people. Uh, and then there were, there were other groups as well. And uh, that fledgling little persecuted flock was beginning to think, maybe we are going through the day of the Lord's wrath because they're being persecuted, you know. Uh, at that time, they're being persecuted by the Jews. And they, they thought it must be, this must be the time of the Lord's wrath. So Paul is writing to them to get them back on track and to defend the church from error. There are two things that have to happen before the day of Christ. And uh, the day of Christ is describing a time of, of God's wrath. Those two things are in verse 3. So he says, let no man deceive you. You see, they had, he was worried. Some of them possibly had been deceived or were at least confused. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that the day, that day shall not come except, number one, there come a falling away first, and number two, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So just briefly on these two things. The, the two things that have to happen before the day of Christ. Number one, the apostasy. We had talked about apostasy before. Uh, since I have the board, <clears throat> I could draw it. But an apostasy is like... If you can imagine a standing position, imagine a man standing, and he's, he's standing for the truth. A standing upright position, and the apostasy speaks about a falling away. That's what that word means. To fall away from the truth. So at one time, standing on the truth of the Word of God. Or think about it like this, standing on true religion. A true understanding of God. So go all the way back to the time of uh, prior to Noah's flood, the time of the Tower of Babel, you know. Um, and you had there, you had Nimrod, you had a new religion that, prop, that, that, that came up. And uh, this new religion was a perversion of the true religion and true knowledge of God. So this was the first time that that had happened. God had established... Uh, how he wanted to be worshipped, how you would approach him after the fall, you know, in the Garden of Eden. And then up comes this Tower of Babel, and it's a man-centered religion, and it's a twisting, a perversion. That was apostasy. That was falling away from the truth. And that is what the devil has been busy doing ever since the very beginning. And it just went on to spread into uh, just a myriad of forms of idolatry. In different ways, different idols, worshipping the sun, the moon, the stars, whatever. Worshipping the elements of the earth, the waters. Uh, worshipping men, men themselves declaring to be deity. In Paul's day, you know, you had the Caesars, right? We know a little bit about the Caesars. We learned about it in school. Caesar Augustus. Augustus means reverend. So he wanted people to call him reverend. In the Bible, the Bible says, call no man reverend. Because there's only one, and that's God. That's reverend. But uh, the, the Caesars, they declared to be God, and you had to worship them. You had to say, Caesar is Lord. 
What was that? That was apostasy. That was perversion. Um, in Paul's time, you also had the apostasy of, of Judaism. Paul would go in, he would lay down pure teaching, sound doctrine. And then, right on his heels, would come these Judaizers and try to, people, try to drag people back under the law. Okay, And the people that followed him, <laughs> followed them, were falling away from the truth. What Paul said is, look, when I come in and I teach you, that is the final word. He says, let no man come after me and teach you. Isn't that amazing? What a statement. I couldn't say that. But the Apostle Paul was inspired and he said, when I come in and teach, I've given you everything you need to know. If anybody comes in after me and teaches anything different, don't listen to them. It's wrong. Amazing. Amazing truth. But um, he's trying to protect them from error. You come, on, you come on up uh, through the centuries and by you know, the 300s, the 400s, Rome uh, had become Christianized and you had the Roman Catholic Church and the popes replaced the Caesars. Okay, So they replaced the Caesars. The first one was, was Sylvester. He took the place of the pope and then by AD 440 you had Leo the Great and so you have a further apostasy and you have all of these cardinal doctrines of Rome that are uh, uh, apostate teachings that they, they, they affect the core doctrines of Christian faith, of New Testament salvation, uh, things like that. And they just kept going, adding Mary eventually as a mediatrix and as an intercessor that you can go to God through Mary actually to get to Mary, to get her to talk to her son. That's entirely unbiblical. And it just kept getting worse. Until the day that you get up to the current age where we are and what we've seen in our time is we've seen uh, apostate, liberal Christianity that happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I've been reading some interesting stuff about that. I'll share some details maybe next time. Uh, but it's just amazing. They just come flat out and just say, look, we do not believe the Bible. We do not believe that Adam and Eve were literal people. We don't believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We don't believe that there was a worldwide flood. We don't believe in a literal six-day creation period. We believe it all started with Darwin, right? Went from Darwin. Marx, Karl Marx learned from Darwin. Marxism is just based on pure atheism. Um, this is all apostasy. It's the, it's, and what you had is you had, um, you had liberal Christianity. It just brought down... Every mainline denomination in, in the world and in America. You had that happening, liberal Christianity. Um, they deny the uh, substitutionary uh, atonement of Christ, the bloody penal sacrifice of Christ, meaning that his blood was shed and he was penalized in our place and took the payment for our sins. They deny that. So this all strikes at the heart of true Religion, if you want to say it that way. And all of it, behind all of it, is Satan. Okay? And then you have um, communism. You, you, some of you lived through that, right? Communism came on the world stage and they thought they were going to take over the world. And that's really part of a bygone era. It failed. You still have pretty strong communism in China and in some places. But what is communism? Pure atheism. That is like the height 
of apostasy. It's a complete denial that there even is a God. And that is what our school system is built on. It's built on Darwinism and Marxism, which is, which is atheistic humanism. God is entirely taken out of the picture. You know where this country will be in probably 10 or 20 years? Maybe less, because things are moving so quickly. They'll be right where England is. You know where England is right now? Get this. It is illegal. It is against the law to teach creationism in their schools. That is, if you try to do it, you'll be brought up on charges, taken to court. It's against the law. Now, it's not that way yet here, but they've, they've got it actually written into law that if you try to teach what the Bible says about God being our creator, that that's an offense that comes with a, a punishment from, parla- from Parliament. So, that's complete apostasy. The devil's done a great job. So, what we've seen, guys, it's exciting in a way because we're seeing just what Paul said. The day of Christ cannot come till you have this falling away. And we're seeing it. I mean, uh, I don't think I have to elaborate a whole lot more. But atheism is pretty much the height of it. So, then you have to see the revelation of the Antichrist. So, he says there in verse 3, Falling away first, and that man of sin, number 2, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I don't want to run the reference yet on son of perdition. We'll do that next time. In part two. But uh, that has to happen before the day of Christ. Now, when we're taken up at the rapture, then the day of Christ, the Antichrist will be revealed for who he is. But I think it's very possible that there will only be a limited amount of people who really know that it's the Antichrist. And you know why I say that? Um, Let's get ahead of where I'm going here. Let's look at Daniel chapter 9. The Bible tells us how uh, those that are here in the world that are still studying Bible prophecy, how they're going to know who the Antichrist is. So Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And a lot of what Paul has been saying in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is like a commentary on Daniel 7 and 8. He uh, gives the doctrinal teaching for those chapters. But Daniel 9, 27. So you have in the Old Testament, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. He's the fifth of the prophets. And just give you some time to get there. So the wicked is revealed. He's called the man of sin, the son of perdition, and that wicked. And he is revealed when he fulfills ancient prophecy. And the Bible tells us in this verse how that happens. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That is a prophetic week. That's seven years, a week of years. 
for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So this persuasive, charismatic world leader is just going to arise on the scene. And uh, most of the world will be completely duped by him. He'll come and he'll deceive many. It says here uh, that he will make the oblation to cease, and for the overspread of abominations he shall make it desolate, even many, uh, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. The desolate is referring to the Jews there. But um, if we come back to Second Thessalonians, it says that he will deceive many. There will be many Jews during that time that will follow the Antichrist, they'll accept him, and they'll be entirely deceived by his lies. And there will be uh, many in the world. You got a comment, brother? It, it kicks off. It kicks off the day of Christ. Yeah, it kicks off the day of Christ. No, we might we might see him, but we we might we won't know him. Hmm. They there will be, but that's a good question. That's a good question because the Bible the Bible doesn't tell us to look for the Antichrist. It tells us to watch for Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't even tell us to look for signs. Yeah. But in a time period, yeah. And you know, and you know what the Jews thought? The Jewish Christians who came out of Judaism were saved. They're living under the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And so they're reading about the Antichrist. He's going to have this covenant of peace. And they're thinking, well, that just sounds exactly like the Roman Emperor Nero. Plus, he opposes everything that we believe, and he exalts himself that he's God. So, there have been people in history who thought that the man of sin was Nero, uh, or, or one of the Roman Caesars, or maybe the Roman government. So, they thought, okay, here's Pax Romana, we have like Roman peace all over the world. Yeah. Right. Well, well not only that, but... Uh, they're being persecuted. So that's where those false teachers came in, and they are mixing what they're learning from the apostles, and they're mixing what they're learning from. There's other sects, by the way, that, but uh, well, I won't get into that. But there's people who believe all kinds of funny things about end times. Um, and some of these, uh, uh, well, we'll just do it, we'll do it another time. So you can see how they might think, well, we're being persecuted, there's this peace that comes from the world that's not really a peace. We must be in the tribulation. But Paul said, no, we're going to be gathered to the Lord. He'd already taught him that in 1 Thessalonians. He said, that's the next thing that's going to happen. We're going to be gathered to the Lord. When that happens, the son of man, or the son of perdition will be revealed, but not to everybody, because many, many, many people will be deceived. The ones who will know him will be the ones who are studying prophecy. There will be a remnant of Jews that are saved out of the tribulation, yeah, and a great multitude of Gentiles that are saved in the tribulation. But those that are studying their prophecy, they're going to say, hold on. I've been reading Daniel chapter 9, and it says that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant, and he's going to allow the temple 
sacrifice to finally happen and all that stuff. And I, we got the red heifer, you know, and everything's coming together. And so they're going to say, that's him. And not only that, but he's opposing God. He's opposing truth. And somehow he's managed to, to get everybody together. He's created his own religion. And anybody who had any doubt about those people identifying that man, when he stands up and declares that he is God, then they're going to say they were right. Three and a half years later, they were right. So that's how he's going to be identified to the world. But no, uh, we, we might see him on the scene. You know, there's videos out there, Trump is the Antichrist. <laughs> My mom sent me one of those things. Um, no, Trump doesn't oppose all that is called God. And he doesn't exalt himself as God. He can't be the Antichrist. Um, so we're talking about a greater evil than that. There is many Antichrists in the world now. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, John that tells us about that. The Apostle John. That's right. So, um, we've got a few more minutes. Are there any questions about that? <laughs> that's the reason why I drew this. Because it helps you to keep all this stuff straight. And, um, but what, what we're seeing right now, two things that have to happen before the day of Christ. We're seeing this one in a big way. Okay. Atheism is a new thing. This is, in, this is a 20th century thing. It's an urban development. It did not happen until we had large cities. And it, this came out of large cities and it came out of, of, uh, college, of universities and colleges. So this is a modern development. It came from Darwinism, then Marx. Okay? So it's just incredible to see, literally, prophecy just happening. All around us. And we can study. Alright. So let's go back to Second Thessalonians in chapter 2. And uh, let's pick up now in our main section that I wanted to study is uh, verse 6. Paul says here, And now ye know. Alright. He's trying to get them grounded. Saying, look, there's some things you know. Don't be confused. And when he said, and now, that points to what the Thessalonians already knew. You see in verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So Paul is bringing them back to his teaching in their presence. And I had told you all about it, yes. And he warned them. He warned every church that he started. False teachers will come in. Uh, wolves in sheep's clothing will come in, they will try to deceive you. John said, there's already antichrists in the world. Not the antichrist, but the little antichrist. Sort of like ambassadors for Satan. They have the spirit of antichrist. And John said, if you deny the teaching about Jesus, that you are of that spirit, antichrist. Boy, man, that's powerful. You realize who comes underneath that umbrella? Denies the teaching of Christ? He says they are of the spirit of antichrist. I won't elaborate. So Paul's saying, now, you, you know what I taught you. <laughs> and uh, Paul said, you don't require further revelation. So he says, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Paul said, it's not yet. We've got to see an apostasy. Okay, the false teachers entering into the church, they deeply troubled the people. So Paul writes to warn them. You know, he'd been, that's what we just looked at in verses 1 through 3. 
They were confused and troubled. They claimed, these false teachers claimed to be teaching about future events by spirit, if you notice that. Um, Verse 2, he says, Don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit. So they were coming in and they were giving prophetic utterances, or at least they claimed to have prophetic utterances. So he said, even if they come in and they try to give you a prophetic word, don't believe them. If they do it by word, Paul says, if they give you an oral teaching, don't believe them. And he says, nor by letter as from us. So he says, if they give you written communication, forgeries, claiming to be from the Apostle Paul, and and, uh, we know well that that happened. We have writings that have existed that claim to be from you know, the Apostle Thomas or claim to be written by Judas. Some claiming to be written by Paul and were not written by Paul. So, he said, if they send forgeries, don't believe them. Just stick with what I told you when I was with you. So there in verse 6, he says, now you know what withholdeth. What withholdeth. That refers to a restraint. All right. What withholdeth? What is obviously a neuter word. Okay? It's not masculine, not feminine. What withholdeth? So there's a withholding force that's referred to in the neuter. And um, some have thought that this could be referring to, to the Spirit of God. All right? So <clears throat> let's. Change our focus now for the last five minutes, and this will go into part two. Paul's going to talk about what withholdeth. He's uh, talking about a, a force or a person that, that restrains iniquity. See in verse 7, the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth. The word let is, is truly an archaic word. It's a word that we don't use today. To let means to prevent, but it's used in the sports world. If you uh, play tennis, you're very familiar with the word let. Um, I'll, I'll explain that in just a moment. But he's talking about something or someone who restrains, who prevents, who holds back evil in the world. This, this mystery of iniquity. And who is preventing the man of sin from showing up. So Paul said there's two things. There's the apostasy, and then there's a man of sin showing up. And, and then he says there's something that is withholding or preventing iniquity right now in this world and actually preventing the man of sin from being able to do what he's going to do. And the question is, what is that? That's, that's been one of the options. And I want to I teach on that, and I'm going to challenge your thinking. We don't, he, he never tells us specifically what it is or who it is. And so I'm going to challenge your thinking on that. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that. And I think you'll be surprised as you look at this. And you might come away from it thinking, I'm not sure that I know exactly what it is. Okay, so let me just throw that teaser out there. What withholdeth? So there is referring to a neuter. Are we referred to as a neuter in the, in the scriptures? Um, no. The church is referred to as a feminine. The church is called a virgin, singular. And a bride. 
Always feminine. Never virgins, plural. Jesus is teaching on the virgins with the oil and their lamps. That's for the Jews. That's not to the church. We are a virgin singular, or bride, and uh, waiting to be married. And I didn't draw that up here. That's the other thing that happens. I almost forgot. Is the, uh, the marriage. When we're finally married to Christ. That happens after the bride is purified. The bride is purified through the judgment seat of Christ. So then we're married to Christ. So, uh, is it the church? Well, whatever withholds, you see, now what withholdeth that he might be revealed, withholds, verse 7, the mystery of iniquity. Iniquity is just another word for sin, or lawlessness is literally what it is, to be without law. And we're talking about the power of the man of sin, the son of perdition. We're talking about the power of Satan given to the Antichrist, his representative here on earth. What is powerful enough to resist Satan? The church? I don't think human power is enough. I don't think human government is enough. We're talking about a spiritual being. It has to be somebody who is powerful in the spirit realm. And we're not powerful enough to contend in the spiritual realm. Uh, Michael, the archangel. Do you remember reading about him? I put a verse in about him. I don't know if I did yet or not. But Michael, when he was contending with the devil, he couldn't even take him. He, he pointed the devil to the Lord and he said, The Lord rebuke thee. Michael couldn't contend with the devil. He had to point him to the Lord. And I would submit to you that the only one who is powerful enough to withhold or to restrain evil in this world is God himself. But we'll look at it in more detail. And I think you're going to be really interested in, in where we might go with this. Yes? Uh, my commentary says that it refers to the Holy Spirit. That's one option. Yeah. Um, I'm going to challenge that. So that's not the only interpretation. Um, that's more of a modern one. So, uh, But look at Genesis 6 real quick. We'll finish here. God has been involved... All throughout human history, striving with men and restraining evil. So Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. So let me find my notes here. Um, So historically, people have identified this restrainer as Nero. So the earliest church, uh, if you were to look at like church fathers and their writings, some thought Nero um, as a restrainer because they're looking to human government to restrain lawlessness, you know, evil in the world. So they're, they're upholding the law as a ruler of this world, so therefore they're, they're restraining lawlessness, anarchy, rebellion. Um, some have thought it was Nero or any of the Roman rulers. Others have thought it's human government. Some have thought it was Israel. Israel looks at herself as like a savior of the world and a light of the world, withholding evil in the world. Some have thought law itself... Others have thought Elijah, 
Interesting. Michael the archangel. And as I said, it can't be Michael because Michael's not strong enough to contend with Satan. Some has even thought that it was Satan who restrains evil. Because the Lord, when He sends the devil to go and persecute Job and to try Job, He says, you can only go so far with Job. You can uh, touch his, his home and his possessions, but you, you can't kill him. Uh, and then He says, okay, you can kill his children, and uh, you, can, you can make Job sick, but you can't, you can't kill Job. And so, Satan was only allowed to go so far. He's on a leash. So some think that it's Satan who's restraining. Others have said Jesus Christ. Um, some have said the gospel. I don't think so. I don't, and the reason why I don't think so is because what has happened? We're promised apostasy. We're not in this world to change this world, guys. This world is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. We're not going to change this world. The prophecies tell us that this world is going to end in great apostasy. Okay, um, And some have said more recently in church history, the church or the Holy Spirit. And the reason why they say that is because, well, the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? So at the rapture, the church is taken out of this world and the Holy Spirit leaves with us. Well, there's some, there's some major problems with that. We'll talk about it next time. There's some major problems with that. Um, but they, that's where they come up with that conclusion that since the Holy Spirit is not here and the church is not here with all of our godly influence, then, uh, then the Antichrist is free to do his worst. And that is sort of a typical interpretation. But notice in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit, now that's the Holy Spirit, shall not always strive with man. So there we see the Spirit of God withholding the evil uh, of man, so that Noah could build the ark. Uh, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. So we saw in the Old Testament that man, after creation, just got worse and worse and worse. And God saw that every you know, thought of a man's heart was only evil continually and so on. And then the Lord wiped the slate clean and started over in order to make it up to where Christ would come on the scene. So, the Holy Spirit, um, it seems very obvious from this passage that only God is powerful enough to restrain the evil in this world that comes from Satan and the apostasy that he's you know, caused to, to come to pass. Um, and God will do this by His Spirit. That seems to be the obvious answer in that passage. But next time, we'll just look at some things to to challenge that idea just, uh, just for the fun of it. We'll stick with that, that orthodox answer. God is the only one, obviously. But um, we'll look at it in more detail. Lord, I thank you for this time together. Um, Father, I pray that you shape our thoughts concerning these things. Lord, um, I know that uh, whether, whether you're looking at somebody who believes the Bible from a dispensational view like we do, or others who are just simply orthodox and uh, are not aware of some of the things that we that we understand. Um, they they follow the same understanding that this world is not getting better; it's getting worse. And Father, men are going to wax worse and worse. Um, Lord, uh, the apostasy is going to be greater um, to the point to where this entire world will will accept the leadership of the Antichrist. Um, 
And Father, I know that in this country that you are not in the thoughts of many people. You're not in our ways. And Lord, I pray that you just have mercy on this country. And I know that our job, Lord, is just to be busy trying to lead men and women and children to Christ for salvation before uh, the time of, of wrath comes. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful in doing that. Uh, we, we know we can't save anybody, so we pray that you just use us and use our, our little efforts here to do our part. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right.